BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We're in the third year of a drought, but so far, Californians have done a pretty poor job when it comes to conserving water. According to new numbers out, California's water usage actually jumped nearly 19% in March, despite pleas for conservation from the governor and local water agencies. State officials say it's the most water used in March since 2015. Meanwhile, yesterday, the city of Los Angeles announced new mandatory water restrictions. Starting June 1st, the city's 4 million residents will have to cut outdoor water use to two days a week. Sprinkler use on those days will be capped at eight minutes and no outdoor watering will be allowed from nine in the morning to four in the afternoon. At a press conference yesterday, Mayor Eric Garcetti said such measures have to be taken now to avoid more serious reductions in the future. If we waste our water, if people continue to have their lawns the way they are, if people don't avail themselves, they take showers, they brush their teeth or shave and just leave the faucet on, then yes, not only I, but future leaders, my successor, will have to make really hard decisions. But I'm confident we won't get there. Mayor Garcetti and L.A. Department of Water and Power officials announced the new rules in the front yard of L.A. homeowner John Gagenhuber. Gagenhuber spoke to me about how he's ripped out grass and replaced it with drought-tolerant plants to save water. The thankless job of, uh, of owning a lawn in Southern California, it's a kind of a ridiculous prospect. You just feel the waste. You know, the runoff to this, to that, and this is all little drips, and you don't even have to do anything. Mayor Garcetti pointed out that the new restrictions are less strict than what other water districts are requiring of their customers. An investigation by the office of Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa has found that it's, quote, extremely unlikely that Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti was unaware of a top aide's alleged inappropriate behavior. Grassley opened the investigation after whistleblowers approached his office with accusations against Garcetti's former aide, Rick Jacobs, who's been accused of sexually harassing multiple people. The investigation was part of the confirmation process for Mayor Garcetti, who's been nominated by the Biden administration to serve as U.S. ambassador to India. In a statement, Garcetti said that while he doesn't agree with the findings, he's pleased the hold on his nomination has been lifted. U.S. Senator Alex Padilla will appear on California's June primary ballot twice in separate but related contests. CAP Radio's Chris Nichols explains. Padilla is running in one contest to finish former U.S. Senator Kamala Harris's term, which ends in January but he's also competing for a new six-year term, which would start right after. Padilla was appointed early last year by Governor Gavin Newsom to fill Harris's seat when she was sworn in as vice president. 
but the appointment could have faced legal opposition, according to Wesley Hussey, a political science professor at Sacramento State. Courts have said, you know, if you're going to have an election, you can't just have a person occupy the seat forever. There has to be a chance for voters to approve or not approve them. To avoid that, Newsom signed a law that requires voters to decide whether an appointed U.S. senator should serve out the remainder of a term. Kim Alexander of the California Voter Foundation says Padilla's double billing could cause confusion. I think everybody involved in voter education is going to have to make an extra effort to make sure that voters understand that this is happening and that this isn't a mistake. The top two vote-getters in each Senate contest will move forward to the general election, meaning voters will be asked to decide on these races again in November. For the California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento. California's Fair Political Practices Commission could soon open the door for campaigns to accept cryptocurrency donations. KQD's Aditi Bondlamudi has more. California is one of nine states that bars campaign contributions in crypto because they're so hard to regulate and trace. But in recent years, tens of thousands of cryptocurrencies have rolled out. And FPPC spokesman Jay Warenga says our state doesn't want to fall behind. We as a commission are always trying to keep up with changing political activity trends. Next week, the Fair Political Practices Commission will consider a number of recommendations from staff, among them treating crypto like cash. In fact, requiring that it be converted into cash before being deposited into a campaign bank account. For the California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. The U.S. Senate is expected to vote on a bill today that would preserve access to abortions nationwide. Although it's expected to fail, the vote comes as the Supreme Court could overturn Roe v. Wade in the coming months, as was suggested in a leaked draft opinion last week. That leak has led many lawmakers to come forward with their own abortion stories. One of the latest is Bay Area Assemblywoman Mia Bonta, who says she had an abortion at the age of 21 as she was finishing her degree at Yale University. I chose to own my body. I chose to make a decision that would allow me to recognize ending the cycle of poverty in my family. Assemblymember Bonta says she wanted to use her education to help provide some financial stability for her family, and that weighed heavily on her decision. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Equality isn't perceived equally. According to a new study from UC Berkeley, historically privileged groups can see opening up pathways of opportunities for some less privileged people as harming their own access to resources. KCRW's Matt Gillum explains. This study, titled If You Rise, I Fall, comes from the Haas School of Business. It found many think of the world in zero-sum terms, even if that's not reality. 
The researchers did multiple experiments, including one centered on the failed 2020 ballot initiative in California that would have reinstated affirmative action policies. They found a majority of Asian and white participants, many of whom identified as politically liberal, perceived the measure as harmful to their access to resources, in this case college admission or public employment. Among the so-called in-group, the scientists say belief that the initiative would harm them was a stronger predictor of how people would vote than their political party or any other ideological variable. The research shows that even equality can be perceived as zero-sum, and the authors say that could have real-world implications in crafting policies meant to reduce disparities. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gillum. California has a whopping state budget surplus, an estimated $68 billion, but it's doubtful any of that money will go to fixing the state agency in charge of investigating wage theft. It's struggling with a backlog of more than 36,000 cases that stretches back years, as KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. Maria is a single mother of four. I met her at Strawberry Creek Park, blocks away from her apartment in Berkeley. KQED is not using Maria's full name. She's a domestic violence survivor, but that's not the reason she doesn't want us to use her last name. She fears that it might hurt her chances to get back $35,000 she says her former employer owes her. Maria worked at a restaurant for years as a dishwasher and cleaner, among other things. She says she often worked overtime, but wasn't paid for that. Her employer also stiffed her on her right to meal and rest breaks, she says. So she filed a claim with the labor commissioner's office back in July of 2018. She's still waiting for a resolution on her case nearly four years later. Meanwhile, she's fallen behind on her rent, and she's afraid she'll get evicted. She's heard of the state's budget surplus, and Maria wonders why the state doesn't seem to have enough people to process cases like hers in a timely way. It turns out there's a huge bottleneck of cases at the California Labor Commissioner's office. Some get settled early, but when employers don't want to settle, the case heads to a hearing. In 2019, for example, before the pandemic, there were more than 7,000 of these hearings held statewide. But there's only dozens of hearing officers. Today, there are 64 of these positions. The governor's office has proposed adding just six more this coming budget year. But 15 of the positions are sitting vacant. The agency is having a hard time hiring, and San Francisco Assemblyman Phil Ting, who heads the budget committee, says that means lawmakers are unlikely to give the agency any more money to hire more officers. Usually, if an agency has that many vacancies, you would not give them additional resources, because then instead of 25 percent vacancy, they'd have 50 percent vacancy. (laughs) Ting says he plans to hold another oversight hearing in the fall. Yes, another hearing, as lawmakers have been told about this problem before. One issue, the agency has to get approval for every hire from the Department of Industrial Relations, or DIR, which has been especially slow, says Garrett Brown. He's a retired inspector from another state agency, Kalosha, in the same situation, beholden to DIR for hiring approvals. The problem here is failure to hire. And the failure to hire is a result of the difficulties in, in the state employment situation generally, compounded or magnified by many, many times by the inability of the DIR HR staff 
to competently and swiftly hire and fill vacant positions. In a statement, DIR's director wrote that her department is trying to fill all vacant positions as quickly as possible and making progress. Now, in fairness, a lot of employers are having trouble hiring and retaining workers these days, and it's always been tough for state agencies in particular with all the bureaucracy involved. But Brown isn't sympathetic. Yeah, the buck stops with the DIR director. She was supposed to be an HR maven, you know, I mean, she was going to solve this problem. Back at Strawberry Creek Park. Y entonces, pues, eso es muy difícil para mí, para mantener más que nada a mi familia. Maria says her adult son is helping her pay the bills, and she's cutting costs by going without things like new clothes. But she says she's not just frustrated for herself. She's frustrated for the tens of thousands of working people across California who are waiting years for the state to rule on wages they claim were stolen from them. Que tratan de resolver ese problema, que tenga un, un poco de compasión a aquellas personas. The state, she says, should have more compassion for how much these missing dollars mean to people who make so little to begin with. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. The opulent Hearst Castle atop a commanding hilltop on California's central coast draws in about 750,000 visitors a year, or at least it used to. You see, the popular tourist destination now operated by California State Parks has been closed for more than two years because of the pandemic. But as KCBX's Benjamin Perper reports from San Simeon, the castle is finally reopening today. Please stay seated at all times. It's a winding road on the bus ride up to the castle. A recording of the late Jeopardy host Alex Trebek describes some of the quirky remnants of William Randolph Hearst's former estate. We will also pass the animal enclosures used in Mr. Hearst's time for the polar bears. They were given ice. The road I'm traveling on was recently re-engineered and rebuilt after a winter storm in 2021 damaged it. That extended the castle's closure, which began in March 2020. At the top of the hill, tour guides show me the iconic outdoor Neptune pool, which has spouting fountains and is framed by marble columns. Guide Sharon Foltz says the reopening means the long and complex history of the estate, which took nearly three decades to bring to life, is now back on display. People say, it took 28 years, and I say, the more you know about this place, 28 years was nothing. Museum director Cara O'Brien said after 26 months of closure, the staff's energy is high, and everyone, including her, is really excited. Yeah, it's just been way too long. We're so, so ready. We've been ready for a long time. <laughs> yeah. O'Brien says tours are back in full swing, and while today will be a celebration, it's more of a soft launch than a grand reopening. She expects Memorial Day weekend will likely see attendance at the castle restored to its former glory. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper at Hearst Castle. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, May 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. The California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. 
on the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.